chapter 5, verses 1 through 10 of Catina Aurea, Commentary on the Four Gospels, collected out of the works of the Fathers, by St. Thomas Aquinas. The Sivirox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into the mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Pseudo Chrysostom. Every man in his own trade or profession rejoices when he sees an opportunity of exercising it. The carpenter, if he sees a goodly tree, desires to have it cut down to employ his skill on. And the priest, when he sees a full church, his heart rejoices. He is glad for the occasion to teach. So the Lord, seeing the great congregation of people, was stirred to teach them. Augustine. Or he may be thought to have sought to shun the thickest crowd, and to have ascended to the mountain, that he might speak to his disciples alone. Chrysostom. By not choosing his seat in the city and in the marketplace, but on a mountain in the desert, he has taught us to do nothing with ostentation, and to depart from crowds, above all, when we are being employed in philosophy or in speaking of serious things. Rigmig. This should be known, that the Lord had three places of retirement that we read of, the ship, the mountain, and the desert. To one of these he was wont to withdraw whenever he was pressed by the multitude. Jerome. Some of the less learned brethren suppose the Lord to have spoken what follows from the Mount of Olives, which is by no means the case. What went before and what follows fixes the place in Galilee. Mount Tabor, as we may suppose, or any other high mountain. Chrysostom. He ascended a mountain, first that he might fulfill the prophecy of Elias, Get thee up into a mountain. Secondly, to show that as well he who teaches as he who hears the righteousness of God should stand on a high ground of spiritual virtues. For none can abide in the valley and speak from a mountain. If thou stand on the earth, speak of the earth. If thou speak of heaven, stand in heaven. Or he ascended into the mountain to show that all who would learn the mysteries of the truth should go up into the mountain of the church, of which the prophet speaks. The hill of God is a hill of fatness. Hilary, or he ascends the mountain because it is placed in the loftiness of his father's majesty, that he gives the commands of heavenly life. Augustine, or he ascends the mountain to show that the precepts of righteousness given by God through the prophets to the Jews, who were yet under the bondage of fear, were the lesser commandments, but that by his own son were given the greater commandments to a people which he had determined to deliver by love. Jerome. He spoke to them, sitting and not standing, for they could not have understood him had he appeared in his own majesty. Augustine. Or to teach sitting is the prerogative of the master. His disciples came to him, that they who are in spirits approached more nearly in keeping his commandments, should also approach him nearest with their bodily presence. Robanus. Mystically speaking, this sitting down of Christ is his incarnation. Had he not taken flesh on him, mankind could not have come unto him. Augustine. It causes a thought how it is that Matthew relates this sermon to have been delivered by the Lord sitting on the mountain. 
Luke, as he stood in the plain. This diversity on their accounts would lead us to think that the occasions were different. Why should not Christ repeat once more what he said before, or do once more what had been done before? Although another method of reconciling the two may occur to us, namely that our Lord was first with his disciples alone on some more lofty peak of the mountain when he chose the twelve that he then descended with them not from the mountain entirely but from the top to the expanse of level ground in the side capable of holding a great number of people that he stood there while the crowd was gathering around him and after when he had sat down then his disciples came near to him and so to them and in the presence of the rest of the multitude he spoke the same sermon which matthew and luke give in a different manner but with equal truth of facts. Gregory, when the Lord on the mountain is about to utter his sublime precepts, it is said, opening his mouth, he taught them. He who had before opened the mouth of the prophets. Rigmig, wherever it is said that the Lord opened his mouth, we may know how great things are to occur. Augustine, or the phrase is introductory of an address longer than ordinary. Chrysostom, or that we may understand that he sometimes teaches by opening his mouth in speech, sometimes by that voice which resounds from his works. Augustine, whoever will take the trouble to examine with a pious and sober spirit will find in this sermon a perfect code of Christian life as far as relates to the conduct of daily life. Accordingly, the Lord concludes it with the words, Every man who heareth these words of mine and doeth them, I will liken him to a wise man, etc. Augustine. The chief good is to be the only motive of philosophical inquiry. But whoever confers blessedness, that is, the chief good, therefore he begins, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Id. Augmentation of spirit generally implies insolence and pride, for in common speech, the proud are said to have a great spirit, and rightly, for wind is a spirit, and who does not know that we say of proud men that they are swollen, puffed up? Here, therefore, by poor in spirits are rightly understood lowly, fearing God, not having a puffed up spirit. Chrysostom, or he here calls all loftiness of soul and temper spirit, for as there are many humble against their will, constrained by their outward condition they have no praise the blessing is on those who humble themselves by their own choice thus he begins at once at the root pulling up pride which is the root and source of all evil setting up as its opposite humility as a firm foundation if this be well laid other virtues may be firmly built thereon if that be sapped whatever good you gather upon it perishes. Pseudo Chrysostom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, or, according to the literal rendering of the Greek, they who beg, that the humble may learn that they should be ever begging at God's almshouse. For there are many naturally humble and not of faith who do not knock at God's almshouse. But they alone are humble who do so of faith. Chrysostom. Or the poor in spirit may be those who fear and tremble at God's commandments, whom the Lord by the prophet Isaiah commends, 
though why more than simply humble of the humble there may be in this place but few in that again an abundance augustine the proud seek an earthly kingdom of the humble only is the kingdom of heaven pseudo chrysostom for as all the other vices but chiefly pride cast down to hell so all the other virtues but chiefly humility conduct to heaven it is proper that he that humbles himself should be exalted jerome the poor in spirit are those who embrace a voluntary poverty for the sake of the holy spirit ambrose in the eye of heaven blessedness begins there where misery begins in human estimation gloss the riches of heaven are suitably promised to those who at this present are in poverty blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth ambrose when i have learned contentment and poverty the next lesson is to govern my heart and temper for what good is it to me to be without worldly things unless i have besides a meek spirit for suitably follows therefore blessed are the meek augustine the meek are they who resist not wrongs and give way to evil but overcome evil of good ambrose soften therefore your temper that you be not angry at least that you be angry and sin not it is a noble thing to govern passion by reason nor is it a less virtue to check anger than to be entirely without anger since one is esteemed the sign of a weak and the other of a strong mind augustine let the unyielding then wrangle and quarrel about earthly and temporal things the meek are blessed for they shall inherit the earth and not be rooted out of it the earth of which it is said in the psalms they lot is in the land of the living meaning the fixedness of a perpetual inheritance in which the soul that hath good dispositions rests as in its own place as the body does in earthly possession it is fed by its own food as the body by the earth such is the rest in the life of the saints pseudo chrysostom this earth as some interpret so long as it is in its present condition is the land of the dead seeing that it is subject to vanity but when it is freed from corruption it becomes the land of the living that the mortal may inherit an immortal country i have read another exposition of it as if the heaven in which the saints were to dwell is meant by the land of the living because compared with the regions of death it is heaven compared with heaven above it is earth others again say that this body as long as it is subject to death is the land of the dead when it shall be made like unto christ's glorious body it will be the land of the living hilary or the lord promises the inheritance of the earth to the meek meaning of that body which himself took on him as his tabernacle and as by the gentleness of our minds christ dwells in us he also shall be clothed with the glory of his renewed body chrysostom otherwise christ here has mixed things sensible with things spiritual because it is commonly supposed that he who is meek loses all that he possesses christ here gives a contrary promise that he who is not forward shall possess his own security but that he of a contrary disposition many times loses his soul and his paternal inheritance
but because the prophet had said, The meek shall inherit the earth, he used these well-known words in conveying his meaning. Gloss. The meek who have possessed themselves shall possess hereafter the inheritance of the Father. To possess is more than to have, for we have many things which we lose immediately. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Ambrose, when you have done thus much, attained both poverty and meekness, remember that you are a sinner. Mourn your sins. As he proceeds, blessed are they that mourn. And it is suitable that the third blessing should be of those that mourn for sin, for it is the Trinity that forgives sin. Hilary, those that mourn, that is, not loss of kindred, affronts, or losses, but who weep for past sins. Pseudo-Chrysostom, and they who weep for their own sins are blessed, but much more so who weep for other sins, so should all teachers do. Jerome, for the mourning here meant is not for the dead by common course of nature, but for the dead in sins and vices. Thus Samuel mourned for Saul, Thus the Apostle Paul mourned for those who had not performed penance after uncleanness. Pseudo-Chrysostom, the comfort of mourners is the ceasing of their mourning. They then who mourn their own sins shall be consoled when they have received remittance thereof. Chrysostom, and though it were enough for such to receive pardon, yet he rests not his mercy only there but makes them partakers of many comforts both here and hereafter. God's mercies are always greater than our troubles. Pseudo-Chrysostom, but they also who mourn for others' sins shall be comforted, inasmuch as they shall own God's providence in that worldly generation, understanding that they who had perished were not of God, out of whose hand none can snatch. For those leaving to mourn they shall be comforted in their own blessedness. Augustine. Otherwise, mourning is sorrow for the loss of what is dear. But those that are turned to God lose the things that they held dear in this world. And as they have now no longer any joy in such things as before they had joy in, their sorrow may not be healed till there is formed within them a love of eternal things. They shall then be comforted by the Holy Spirit, who is therefore chiefly called the paraclete, that is, comforter, so that for the loss of their temporal joys they shall gain eternal joys. Gloss. For by mourning two kinds of sorrow are intended, one for the miseries of the world, one for lack of heavenly things. So Caleb's daughter asked both the upper and lower springs. This kind of mourning none have but the poor and meek, who, as not loving the world, acknowledge themselves miserable, and therefore desire heaven. Suitably, therefore, consolation is promised to them that mourn, that he who has sorrow at this present may have joy hereafter. But the reward of the mourner is greater than that of the poor or the meek, for to rejoice in the kingdom is more than to have it, or to possess it. For many things we possess in sorrow. Persostom. We may remark that this blessing is given not simply, but with great force and emphasis. It is not simply who have grief, but who mourn. And indeed, this command is the sum of all philosophy. 
for they who mourn for the death of children or kinsfolk throughout all that season of their sorrow are touched with no other desires as of money or honor burn not with envy feel not wrongs nor are open to any other vicious passion but are solely given up to their grief much more ought they who mourn their own sins in such manner as they ought to mourn for them to show this higher philosophy verse six blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled ambrose as soon as i have wept for my sins i begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness he who is afflicted with any sore disease hath no hunger jerome it is not enough that we desire righteousness unless we also suffer hunger for it by which expression we may understand that we are never righteous enough but always hunger after works of righteousness pseudo chrysostom all good which men do not from love of the good itself is unpleasing before god he hungers after righteousness who desires to walk according to the righteousness of god he thirsts after righteousness who desires to get the knowledge thereof chrysostom ye may mean either general righteousness or that particular virtue which is the opposite of covetousness as he was going on to speak of mercy he shows beforehand of what kind our mercy should be that it should not be of the gains of plunder or covetousness hence he ascribes to righteousness that which is particular to avarice namely to hunger and thirst hilary the blessedness which he appropriates to those who hunger and thirst after righteousness shows that the deep longing of the saints for the doctrine of god shall receive perfect replenishment in heaven that they then shall be filled pseudo chrysostom such is the bounty of rewarding god that his gifts are greater than the desires of the saints augustine or he speaks of food with which they shall be filled at this present to wit that food of which the lord spake my food is to do the will of my father that is righteousness and that water of which whoever drinks it shall be in him a well of water springing up to life eternal chrysostom or this is again a promise of temporal reward for as covetousness is thought to make many rich he affirms on the contrary that righteousness rather makes rich for he who loves righteousness possesses all things in safety blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy gloss justice and mercy are so united that the one ought to be mingled with the other justice without mercy is cruelty mercy without justice profusion hence it goes on to the one from the other Rignig. the merciful is he who has a sad heart he counts others misery his own and is sad at their grief as at his own jerome mercy here is not said only of alms but is in every sin of a brother if we bear one another's burdens augustine he pronounces those blessed who succor the wretched because they are rewarded in being themselves delivered from all misery as it follows for they shall obtain mercy hilary so greatly is god pleased with our feelings of benevolence towards all men that he will bestow his own mercy only on the merciful 
Chrysostom, the reward here seems at first to be only an equal return, but indeed it is much more, for human mercy and divine mercy are not to be put on an equality. Gloss. Justly is mercy dealt out to the merciful, that they should receive more than they had deserved, and as he who has more than enough receives more than he who has only enough, so the glory of mercy is greater than of the things hereto mentioned. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Ambrose. The merciful lose the benefit of his mercy, unless he shows it from a pure heart. For if he seeks to have whereof to boast, he loses the fruit of his deeds. The next that follows, therefore, is, Blessed are the pure in heart. Gloss. Purity of heart comes properly in the sixth place, because on the sixth day man was created in the image of God, which image was shrouded by sin, but is formed anew in pure hearts by grace. It follows rightly the before-mentioned graces, because if they be not there, a clean heart is not created in a man. Chrysostom. By the pure are here meant those who possess a perfect goodness conscious to themselves of no evil thoughts, or again those who live in such temperance as is mostly necessary to seeing God. According to that of St. Paul, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man can see God. For as there are many merciful, yet unchaste, to show that mercy alone is not enough, he adds this concerning purity. Jerome, the pure is known by purity of heart for the temple of God cannot be impure. Pseudo Chrysostom, he who in thought and deed fulfills all righteousness, sees God in his heart, for righteousness is an image of God, for God is righteousness. So far as anyone has rescued himself from evil and works things that are good, so far does he see God, either hardly or fully, or sometimes or always, according to the capabilities of human nature. But in that world to come, the pure in heart shall see God face to face, not in a glass and an enigma as here. Augustine. They are foolish who seek to see God with bodily eye, seeing he is seen only by the heart, as is elsewhere written, in singleness of heart seek ye him. The single heart is the same as is here called the pure in heart. Id. But if spiritual eyes in the spiritual body shall be able only to see so much as they now we have can see, undoubtedly God will not be able to be seen of them. Id. This seeing God is the reward of faith, to which end our hearts are made pure by faith, as it is written, cleansing their hearts by faith. But the present verse proves this still more strongly. Id. No one seeing God can be alive with the life men have on earth, or with these our bodily senses, unless one die altogether out of this life, either by totally departing from the body, or so alienated from carnal lust that he may truly say with the apostle, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. He is not translated that he should see this vision. Gloss. The reward of these is greater than the reward of the first, being not merely to dine 
in the king's court, but further to see his face. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Ambrose, when you have made your inward parts clean from every spot of sin, that dissensions and contentions may not proceed from your temper, begin peace within yourself, that so you may extend it to others. Augustine. Peace is the fixedness of order. By order I mean an arrangement of things like and unlike, giving to each its own place. And as there is no man who would not willingly have joy, so there is no man who would not have peace, since even those who go to war desire nothing more than by war to come to a glorious peace. Jerome. The peacemakers are pronounced blessed. They, namely, who make peace first within their own hearts, then between brethren at variance. For what avails it to make peace between others, while in your own hearts are wars of rebellious vices? Augustine. The peacemakers within themselves are they who, having stilled all disturbances of their spirits, having subjected them to reason, have overcome their carnal desires, and become the kingdom of God. There all things are so disposed that that which is most chief and excellent in man governs those parts which we have in common with the brutes. Though they struggle against it, nay, even that in man which is excellent is subject to a yet greater, namely the very truth, the Son of God, for it would not be able to govern what is inferior to it if it were not subject to what is above it. And this is the peace which is given on earth to men of good will. Id. No man can attain in this life that there be not in his members a law resisting the law of his mind. But the peacemakers attain thus far by overcoming the lusts of the flesh, that in time they come to a most perfect peace. Pseudo Chrysostom. The peacemakers with others are not only those who reconcile enemies but those who, unmindful of wrongs, cultivate peace. That peace only is blessed, which is lodged in the heart, and does not consist only in words. And they who love peace, they are the sons of peace. Hilary, the blessedness of the peacemakers is the reward of adoption. They shall be called the sons of God. For God is our common parent, and no other way can we possess into his family than by living in brotherly love together. Chrysostom. Or if the peacemakers are they who do not contend one with another, but reconcile those that are at strife, they are rightly called the sons of God, seeing that this was the chief employment of the only begotten Son, to reconcile things separated, to give peace to things at war. Augustine. Or because peace is then perfect, when there is nowhere any opposition, the peacemakers are called the sons of God, because nothing resists God, and the children ought to bear the likeness of their father. Gloss. The peacemakers have thus the place of highest honor, inasmuch as he who is called the king's son is the highest in the king's house. This beatitude is placed the seventh in order, because in the Sabbath shall be given the repose of true peace, the six ages being passed away. Verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Chrysostom. Blessed are they who suffer persecution for righteousness' sake, that is, for virtue, for defending others, for piety, 
for all these things are spoken of under the title of righteousness. This follows the beatitude upon the peacemakers, that we may not be led to suppose that it is good to seek peace at all times. Augustine, when peace is once firmly established within, whatever persecutions he who has been cast without raises or carries on, he increases that glory which is in the sight of God. Jerome, for righteousness' sake, he adds expressively, for many suffer persecution for their sins, and are not therefore righteous. Likewise, consider how the eighth beatitude of the true circumcision is terminated by martyrdom. Pseudochrysostom, he said not, Blessed are they who suffer persecution of the Gentiles, that we may not suppose the blessing pronounced on those only who are persecuted for refusing to sacrifice to idols. Yea, whoever suffers persecution of heretics because he will not forsake the truth is likewise blessed, seeing he suffers for righteousness. Moreover, if any of the great ones who seem to be Christians, being corrected by you on account of his sins, shall persecute you, you are blessed with John the Baptist. For if the prophets are truly martyrs, when they are killed by their own countrymen, without doubt he who suffers in the cause of God has the reward of martyrdom, though he suffers from his own people. Scripture, therefore, does not mention the persons of the persecutors, but only the cause of persecution, that you may learn to look, not by whom, but why you suffer. Hilary. Thus, lastly, he includes those in the Beatitude whose will is ready to suffer all things for Christ, who is our righteousness. For these then also is the kingdom preserved, for they are in the contempt of this world, poor in spirit. Augustine. Or the Eighth Beatitude, as it were, returns to the commencements, because it shows the perfect complete character, in the first then and the eighth, the kingdom of heaven is named, for the seven go to make the perfect man. The eighth manifests and proves his perfectness, that all may be conducted to perfection by these steps. Ambrose. Otherwise, the first kingdom of heaven was promised to the saints in deliverance from the body. The second, that after the resurrection, they should be with Christ. For after your resurrection, you shall begin to possess the earth delivered from death, and in that possession shall find comfort. Pleasure follows comfort, and divine mercy pleasure. But on whom God has mercy, him he calls, and he whom he calls beholds him that called him. He who beholds God is adopted into the rites of divine birth, and then at length as the Son of God is delighted with the riches of the heavenly kingdom. The first then begins, the last is perfected. Chrysostom Wonder not if you do not hear the kingdom mentioned under each beatitude, for in saying shall be comforted, shall find mercy, and the rest, in all these the kingdom of heaven is tactly understood, so that you must not look for any of the things of sense. For indeed he would not be blessed who was to be crowned with those things which depart with this life. Augustine, the number of these sentences should be carefully attended to. To these seven degrees of blessedness agree the operation of that seven-form Holy Spirit which Isaiah described. But as he began from the highest, so here he begins from the lowest. For there we are taught that the Son of God will descend to the lowest. Here that man will ascend from the lowest to the likeness of God. Here the first place is given to fear, which is suitable for the humble. 
of whom it is said blessed are the poor in spirit that is those who think not high things but who fear the second is piety which belongs to the meek for he who seeks piously reverences does not find fault does not resist and this is to become meek the third is knowledge which belongs to those that mourn who have learned to what evils they are enslaved which they once pursued as goods the fourth which is fortitude rightly belongs to those who hunger and thirst who seeking joy in true goods labor to turn away from earthly lusts the fifth counsel is appropriate for the merciful for there is one remedy to deliver from so great evils viz to give and to distribute to others the sixth is understanding and belongs to the pure in heart who with purged eye can see what eye seeth not the seventh is wisdom and may be assigned to the peacemakers in whom is no rebellious motion but they obey the spirit thus the one reward the kingdom of heaven is put forth under various names in the first as was right is placed the kingdom of heaven which is the beginning of perfect wisdom as if it should be said the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom to the meek and inheritance as to those who with piety seek the execution of a father's will to those that mourn comfort as to persons who know what they had lost and in what they were immersed to the hungry plenty as a refreshment to those who labor for salvation to the merciful mercy that to those who have followed the best counsel that they may be showed which they have showed to others to the pure in heart the faculty of seeing god as to men bearing a pure eye to understand the things of eternity to the peacemakers the likeness of god and all these things we believe may be attained in this life as we believe they were fulfilled in the apostles for as to the things after this life they cannot be expressed in any words end of chapter five verses one through ten